Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So hello and welcome to yet another Cholton Live Lockdown Podcast. My name is Louis Mendez and we've got a packed phone line for you guys uh, this afternoon as we get ready to talk about a few things that have happened uh, this week and of course look back at last year's playoff semi-finals because we're at the one year anniversary of those games. So without any further ado, let's bring in those who are on the phone. First up uh, in line one, uh, Louis, Louis Cat. how you doing Lou? Yeah, good mate, you okay? Yeah, not bad, I had a good week. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too yeah. bad. I'm getting a bit, getting a bit bored sitting indoors now. I yeah, must say. I think that's the same for all of us. Another man who's uh, bored of sitting indoors, but did have the entertainment factor of seeing my haircut this week. Uh, Benji Cloak, how you doing, Ben? Yeah, it's very good, Louis. Yeah, what did you think of my my haircut that I gave myself? Yeah, not bad actually. It mm. was quite good, I must say. Yeah, Ben. And, uh, ben only I saw must... the front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I must say, I'm buzzing from winning the uh, the mug competition. Oh yeah, so. Ben also correctly guessed the the name the club from its mug uh, game this week, although it was Cholton, so it's quite an easy one today. Um, yeah, so uh, finally, before I tell you more about my haircut, let's bring in uh, Terry Smith. How you doing, Tell? I'm alright. So I bought myself some clippers. Did this like the side bits are quite easy. It turns out doing round the ears and round the back is quite hard. So whereas it from the front, my haircut's all business. From the back, it looks like I don't know, Chernobyl. Um, but can, I, can I give can I give the uh, the listeners a piece of advice as well? If if you are in lockdown uh, as I am, as we all are, obviously, um, and you think uh, you haven't got your hair clippers, I did have and, and threw them away because I thought, when am I ever going to need those? But uh, I, I, I was given it's like a it's like a beard trimmer, it's like a like a, a small mini shaver, if you like. Mm. Uh, the settings on the mini shaver aren't the same as the settings on the normal hair clippers. <laughs> so when you so when you think you're using a number nine and this will stay quite long, it doesn't. Just so I'll put, <laughs> put that out there. Yeah, you Ter- do end up looking like a criminal. Yeah, Terry looking a bit like a former stadium announcer Dave Lockwood at the moment, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not far wrong. Yeah, right. Let's, um, so on this week's pod, and I did promise at the end of last week's show uh, that we will talk about, uh, of course, the anniversary of the playoff semi-finals. You know, two of uh, two of the best games we've uh, we, we we've had uh, in in recent times. Last season, the one-year anniversary. So we will come on to that uh, in in the second part of the show. We'll listen back to the highlights as well. We'll really uh, take that stroll down memory lane and relive some of the most exciting contests, uh, especially that second leg that we've seen for a long time. Um, but obviously. Uh, as is the state of play at Charlton this week, there's been a few things that need talking about. Um, you know, we, we've heard from Lyle Taylor this week. He's, he spoke to a, an online podcast. Uh, we heard, of course, from Marion Mihail, the uh, the director who answers the questions from the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust. Uh, and we've heard from Matt Southall this week, uh, as is often the case. Uh, he's taken to social media to make some threats and to claim he's got information which he for some reason hasn't published because if I had information that cleared my name I'd probably go out there and publish it rather than just saying I do and uh, not doing it because uh, it's a very strange uh, course of affairs but 
let, let's have a little chat about what we've seen so far this week. So um, we'll come on to the Lyle Taylor stuff in a bit, Lewis. But I mean, I, I do want to talk about Matt Southall um, has come out this week and, well, threatened uh, the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust, uh, threatened to take action against them for doing interviews with people. And Mario Mihail, obviously the trust asks these questions of him every week. Um, it's it's frustrating that sometimes, you know, you, you wish Marion would be able to come out and say, oh no, he's definitely got loads of money, but, but he can't prove that because clearly that hasn't happened yet and I'll be surprised if it ever does happen. Um, but it, as is the fact of this matter, both sides in, the, in this situation have been using uh, any channel they can to slag each other off and there's been a bit of that towards Matt Southall from Marion uh, in this uh in this exchange that we're seeing the the Q and A with the trust, um, but and Matt Southall's making some sort of threat to go on and sue the trust because of that. Um, he's Matt seemingly showing very little understanding of uh, of of the law. Basically, I mean, what have you made of it, Lewis? I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. Again, I mean, I don't know why. I, I was so sort of I, I don't know I felt a bit shocked when I saw it yesterday but I, and I was thinking I, I don't really understand why I do feel shocked because I just feel like uh, Matt's just going to stoop to any low possible to try and make himself look like the good guy and it's just using a football club for purposes of boosting your own ego which either party could be doing because we haven't seen a huge amount of promise from from Tanun's side either it's completely wrong. You know, it's it's all right for them because they're not the people that support the club. They're not the people that, if this goes belly up, they're going to lose their, their like one of some people's only constant that they've got. You know, people you spend every every Saturday going to support your football club, and there's a real risk of that not being a possibility if this isn't sorted. And the, that's the bottom line. I don't care about Matt Southall's. You know, if any anything's been said bad about him, because then. Things are, bad things have been said about Tanoon as well and it's just this back and forth, back and forth but ultimately the, the club isn't getting any better in in terms of trying to move on from this or or prove that that Tanoon has got the, the, the funds and the backing and that this is all going to be alright but at the moment there's just no there's no light at the end of the tunnel whatsoever and seeing stupid things on Twitter about suing the trust and things like that what is the point like what does he get out of that I, I don't understand at all I think it's just another low just dangling dangling the carrot again trying to trying to wind up Charlton fans on social media just to give himself a little bit of an ego boost the other bloke that keeps commenting on there I've never heard of him before whatever his name is Ads or Jads I don't even know what his name is another irrelevant person in this entire thing but ultimately they're all irrelevant because the only the most important thing in all of this is our football club and ultimately at the moment it's looking a pretty bleak future for us at the moment and I've, mm. I've got real concerns that we're not going to have a club to follow anymore if this doesn't get sorted out properly and in a mature manner. Because mm. one of the more confusing things about this, Ben, is like the, there seems to be an assumption from, from Matt Southall's side that everyone's on the side of Tanoon Namir and just waiting for... You know, waiting for Matt to go away, so it's all golden. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's been quite clear. I mean, the 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 attack on the trust is bizarre because it's it's been clear to me that the trust have been asking a lot of questions of Tanu Namir. It's not like the trust are blowing the trumpet for Tanu Namir. He's currently the one who we need to put money into the club, and they've asked a lot of probing questions about that. I don't understand why Matt and some people seem to be of the opinion that it's all one sided because clearly the trust are asking 
questions of Tanun Namir every week. Yeah, spot on. I think reading the questions that the Trust uh, asked Marion Mahal this week, I mean, there's there's one question that is regarding Matt Southall uh, asking why does Matt Southall need removing before investment? Exactly, and, that, and, and, and that's a question against Tanun Namir. It's saying, why are you using Matt Southall as an excuse? So it's not like they're trying to put pressure on Southall. The Trust have been putting pressure on, on Tanun Namir via... You know, Marion Mihail this over the last few weeks. That's why I don't understand why people are implying that the trust are trying to side with Tanun Namir when it's clear that they're asking questions of him every week. Yeah, spot on. I think that the ultimatum is that clearly Southall isn't bothered about the club anymore. He's just trying to save his own name. I think if he was bothered about the club, he'd keep quiet and try and sort stuff in the background. And, um, yeah, worry about the sufficiency of the funds. And that's really where the trusts are trying to get to. They're trying to say, look, if this month, if no money comes in from Tanoon, where are we at? Are we going to be able to pay the players? Are we going to be able to pay the staff, the creditors, all that kind of stuff? Because that's the main thing. I think now as, as supporters, we're, we're in a, look, best case scenario I mean we don't know what the best case scenario is because we've been told this guy's going to put money into noon for a while now it still hasn't happened we kind of uh, realistically we kind of forgotten about Southall now because as I said it's clear he's not really bothered about the club anymore we've got him chirping in the background but we're not siding with Tanoon, we're not siding with Southall we just want as Lewis just said the club to be sorted out and that's where the questions, as the trust are aiming it at these guys, Marin Mahale, Claudio Farika, and Tanoon, to kind of say, look, we're in the middle of May now, and we still haven't had these funds. We still haven't found out where these funds are coming from, so the EFL can ratify it. We've still got this embargo hanging over us. This is the crux of the matter that needs to be sorted. Yeah. Um, Terry, I don't... Maybe a personal opinion here, but I, I think it's really disappointing to see, um, you know, the, the divide and conquer tactics being um, deployed by, uh, well, by by Matt Southall with his some some of his sort of half leaks, which which are strange. So he he, I, I think in his letter uh, to the um, uh, to the trust, he implied that he gave them loads of evidence that Tanoon was a bad person that you didn't share with the fans. Um, the, uh, I mean, it, it's clear that if Matt Sa- if Matt Southall believed that he had evidence that people need to see, I mean, he has his own channels that he, he can put his own name to it. You know, when Marion Mahal um, slags off Matt Southall, I mean, I, I I still think it's a complete waste of time. But he's putting his name to it. It's not he's not expecting the trust to do his dirty work for him. He's saying these are my words. When Matt Southall comes out and says I've given you loads of evidence that you haven't shared, I mean, if Matt Southall has this evidence that clears himself, why doesn't he just go out and share it? I mean, it's it's quite clear what he's he's trying to just. Dis- just make people think, you know, lose faith in the trust without actually providing any evidence himself or taking the risk that would, you know, an accusation like the sort of thing he wants to, he, he might want to put on to Noon Namir, uh, put that sort of information out there. He's, he, he's not willing to take that risk because he knows there's legal consequences to it. But at the same time, he's trying to use that as some sort of spanner to, to throw into the work and to make people not trust the, the, the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust, which is incredibly stupid and hugely frustrating to see people fall for it. 
It's well, there's there's a few issues here. I mean, it's it's like a I don't know, victim mentality, I suppose, if you like, whereby um, you're trying desperately uh, when you see things, I guess, crumbling around you, that you try and lash out at anybody and everybody, and it's almost like a case of I'm not that bad because they're much worse. Um, it, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's just it's a strange situation to be in. I mean, it's like um, I don't know, it's like a huge Haribo advert where you look at these people and they all look like adults, but as soon as they open their mouths, they sound like four-year-olds. And that's pretty much where we are. You know, these people don't seem to be able to um, have adult conversations and, and proper conversations. And you're right, if, if Southall had any genuine evidence to, to clear his name, then it would have been in the courts now. We wouldn't be dragging it through tweet, uh, uh, Twitter or, or Instagram or any of that stuff. He'd be in court now saying, right, take him to court, I've got this. And that's it, end of story. But it's not happening because um, he's almost like he's trying to get the fans, you know, in the sort of last desperate attempt to, to justify himself. He's trying to get the fans at each other's throat. And, you know, the whole uh, them and us situation, uh, I, I sort of understand it because, you know, fans are desperate, for, especially Charlton fans, they're desperate for knowledge of what's going on in our club. All this, you know, circus show that's going on, we're just desperate. To, we're clutching at straws. We're doing anything we can to try and get some good news or any news at all, uh, you know, Genuine news, not the sort of nonsense we've been getting, and um, so you're going to get you're going to get you're going to get people who don't necessarily think the trust is for them. I I understand that you know some people say well it doesn't really suit me. You know a lot of people see the trust maybe as a, a room full of geeks, and I, you know um, and that may or may not be true. But uh, you know we're Charlton fans, and um, you know if some fans don't particularly want to be involved in the trust, they want to start their own little um, little group or or big group, then fine, I've got no problem with that particularly, but. What we've got to, what we've really got to make sure we do is not not believe everything we hear on one side or the other because all we really want is the same thing and that's the child want to go forward. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I remember um, I don't know who said it or, or where it came from necessarily. It might be Churchill actually, where he said, uh, you know, your enemy. Yeah, you know, if my enemy is your enemy, then you're my friend. You know what I mean? We've we've all got the same enemies here. And so, um, ultimately, even if it's only for a short term, or even if it's a bit unpalatable, you've got to be my friend for a while. Yeah. Because, you know, we've got the same enemy in mind. Yeah. And that's why it is so frustrating to see people getting little snippets, you know, clearly Matt Southall's putting out little snippets. I mean, even now he's saying, I've got this document that proves I'm innocent, but I'm not going to show it because, I mean, he knows the legalities around that. But then trying to blame the trust, trying to imply the trust of withheld information... Um, when, you know, it's not up to the trust to go out and make accusations on behalf of one person in their own name. If if people want to do interviews and say stuff on the record, that's up to them. But Matt Southall has his own Twitter page. He, he you know, he, he, if he had something that cleared his name three months ago, why didn't he put it out? Why is it up to the trust to put that out for him? Um, you know, he's trying to use smoke and mirrors to turn people against the trust who are asking questions of of Tanunamir and Matt Southall the fact that the trust have become stronger out of this shows that the majority of people aren't going to fall for it but you've got to be careful um, because in some cases he has I mean I said Lewis we, we saw last night in particular there was a a, a recruitment drive by the trust because I mean he was they were targeted by Matt Southall they responded very well you know basically saying that that you know Matt Southall's got no chance uh, of uh, of trying to sue uh, the trust for publishing an interview um, and and we saw that in a good way a lot of fans are getting behind the trust. Yeah, exactly, and it's support that the trust deserves. You know they do fantastic things for this football club. They've been, I know it's as as Terry said there, we're sort of clutching at straws and answers, but they have been that constant um with 
pressing questions over to, to Marion Michal and, and getting some kind of dialogue out of the club, whether, whether people think that that's enough or not. I mean, arguably, we're not getting a huge amount of info out of it, but it's still something. Mm. Um, and this is, one and of, it, this is one of those, those cases where, I mean, again, people are upset with the answers. Unfortunately, the trust can ask the questions. It's not up to the trust to answer truthfully. Unfortunately, it's up to the, it's up to the, the people in charge, you know, and that's why the majority of people, I imagine, still have absolutely zero faith in Tanu Namir as well because they're not getting clear answers. That doesn't mean that the questions the trust are answering are wrong. And that's why by allowing yourself to believe the trust have become wrong because Matt Southall's saying that, you're just weakening our only hand at the moment, which is the trust asking strong questions of Tanu Namir as well. Well, exactly. And those questions the trust are asking are from supporters anyway. People, you know, they... they they've reached out to supporters to email questions in that they will put forward to Mario Mahal. They're not, they're not taking it, you know, they're not, like you say, they're not making these questions up themselves. So these are questions coming from a wide range of, of different Charlton fans that want to know different things. So I think that it's, it's typical Southall to, to drop it on the trust like that and try, and like I say, drop in a bit of a, a carrot down, see who nibbles at it and see if anybody, um, just to try and turn people against people, like you say, and try and make himself feel a bit bigger. But, you know, I, I signed up to the trust at the beginning of at the beginning of April, and I saw yesterday that a lot of people followed suit to you know, to prove that you know we're all on one side, and we all we care about is our football club. I don't care about a little squabble between a businessman in, in Abu Dhabi and, and a chancer up in Berry. I don't, I don't really care about that. What, but what I do care about is the future of my football club mm-hmm. because it doesn't just affect me; it affects the the majority of the people close to me as well. And, and ultimately, the only thing I want is for us to come out the other side of this. Whether they're involved or whether Tanoon's involved, Matt's involved, whoever, I think is impossible. But whoever's involved, as long as as long as I have a club to support, I don't really care, and, mm. and as long as it's looked after. Yeah, because this uh, this argument between the the people involved in ASI is tiresome. But I mean, as far as I see, I mean, I've I've always seen them as one package. Really, you know, I know they're arguing amongst themselves, really, but currently they're the package that own the club, and uh, it's not looking good. For, for for the future of the club, if we're being if we're being totally honest, I mean Ben, some of the questions uh, there there was some there was some question marks over uh, you know from from the trust about about obviously Claudio Florica and Marion Mahail uh, this week. Very very little information has come out of that about what they're here to do. I mean the only thing I can hope they're here to do is to just get on with moving the club into into stronger hands. Um, currently, we still haven't had the the source and f- sufficiency. Well, the funds proved to the EFL. That is the outstanding issue. That's the thing that whenever we talk about the current issue at the club that we really should be concentrating on because that's the main problem at the moment. We're still under an embargo because of that. Um, Tanoon is still yet to inject any funding into the club. I mean, we'll, when we get to the end of the month and it comes to payday again, that'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, they're, they're the main issues at the club at the moment. Yeah, I think... Uh, just looking at question eight, where it says, can you explain the strategy for player recruitment this summer, given we will lose 16 players from the current squad? I mean, God, how scary is that? Mm. Uh, I know as we're going to go on to talk about, we had Lyle Taylor come out and um, make some comments this week on a podcast. And um, yeah, just scary listening to, to that because you think, blimey, I think it'll be the last time we we see Lyle play for the club anymore. And I, I can't blame him because of all the... Uh, everything that's happening at the club at the moment. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, I feel for Lee Bowyer, Steve Gallen. I mean, they're in the background with the whole coronavirus thing going on. They've got all of this with the ownership at the moment. I mean, how are they going to be able to promise the players new contracts that are out of contract? 
Gallon trying to work his magic to try and get some loans in for next season. I mean, it's all just a mess. And as you say, yeah, but if we're in the middle of May now and Tanoon still hasn't proved this um, uh, source of sufficiency of funds, it's just getting getting silly now, isn't it? Yeah, and it's 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 so frustrating. I mean, um, the, the the question: Why has it taken five months for Tanoon Namir to show his proof of funds? Uh, that, that, that was asked, Terry. Um, the EFL will conduct this investigation on documents submitted by April the 24th by the individuals involved. Uh, the club's lawyers have submitted a series of documents independent from the individual submission in an effort to keep the possible sanctions uh, to the club to a minimum. And obviously, I mean, th- there's there's no clear answer there, basically. Um, EFL uh, latest documents were submitted to the EFL by Tanu Namir on May the 1st, apparently. We're awaiting final feedback, but there's no answer as to why this hasn't been done in the in the entire time, and that that's infuriating. Yeah, I mean, you you start wondering, don't you? You start asking yourself questions about, well, you know, how hard can it be? And then you think, well, you know, has he written on the back of a you know, bit of toilet paper? Yes, I've got fifty million. Thanks very much. And then, and then you're surprised that the EFL said, well, actually, that's not enough. Um, and then you show a bank account, and they say, well, okay, you've got the money in there, but where did it come from? And you go, oh, what, did I need that? Oh, it's come from me. Yeah, well, that's not enough. So you, you do wonder why, why, why it's taken so long and you know, how, how hard can it be to understand the question. Uh, and, you know, you're hoping it's not the EFL not understanding the, or, um, or, or just drugging their heels, but you get the feeling it's not. You get the feeling it's just they haven't provided the information that was requested in, and you just don't get it. And, and the, the longer it carries on, the, the less... The less convinced all fans are that, that it's actually there in the first place. So, mm. uh, the one thing that was telling, I think, for me on that um, that question and answers was um, the fact that he said that uh, okay, well, um, we'll put money in just enough to pay the players and, and the creditors and, and the staff uh, towards the end of the month. Well, that's one thing, but then in the next place says, well, we 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 you know we we. We've sort of suggested we'll give funds to uh, to the management team. Um, they've identified some players we need, but it all a lot will depend on what division we're in. We're not being funny. If we do get back to playing and play the last nine games, if we haven't got sixteen of those players that uh, that Benji was saying is going to leave, who are pretty much our main squad, uh, those sixteen players, we know what division we're going to be in because if we're putting the kids out for the last nine games of the season, uh, if it doesn't kick off until July then there's only one division we're going to end up in. Uh, mm. And that's the, the one below us, not, yeah. not the one we're in. Yeah, so, um, you know, unless they unless they can do put funds in prior or at least persuade the players that are still here that they can they can stay for another couple of months and extend their contracts and they'll have to make a, a decent sweetener, I suspect, then then we're not going to be in this mm. division. Yeah, I mean, how, how viable that would be for any club in terms of extending contracts. And I mean, I'll be shocked if a player like Lyle Taylor, who we're about to talk about, who knows he won't be here next season, whatever ends up being next season, uh, why on earth would he want to, <laughs> to help out, a, a, you know, a, an ownership that have screwed him around? And uh, I mean, the, 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 the ins and outs of how that's going to work in terms of the football side for every club, let alone our club, is going to be hard to work out at this moment in time for the foreseeable future but it is uh yeah it's it's baffling and you know we once again we're being distracted and um divided by idiots on the 
on both sides of this conversation, unfortunately. But the crux of it is, you know, we still haven't got our source and sufficiency from Tanun Namir. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're in we're in big trouble. So let, let, let's um, let's talk about this thing with uh, with Lyle Taylor then, uh, Lewis. See, um, there was an interview uh, going round on uh, on the conversations, like a YouTube podcast sort of thing. Uh, it's got one of the lads from the from the the Mirror newspaper, Darren uh, Darren Lewis, and, it, and it's got a few other people involved. Um, and obviously, uh, yeah, Lyle Taylor went on there and uh, spoke quite a bit about. <laughs> Uh, about his contract situation. Now we know, you know, he was linked heavily to that move to uh, Brentford earlier on in the season, when we know he wanted to go. Um, I think he made it quite clear at the time he wanted to go because football is football these days, Lewis. I mean, the, I've I've always said with with someone like Lyle, as long as he's here and he gives hundred percent, then I won't complain too much. And he, when he, the move didn't happen. He went on and was our, you know, one of our best players again and scored a, a hat full of goals. So I have no real complaints uh, about the fact he wanted to go to somewhere where he'll get more money because obviously we're not a club that offers that much money and it's a short career. So to then find out about how, how it all played out with Roland turning down the beard, uh, eventually not, not offering him a great contract. You know, I think he offered him only the 50% increase that he had for promotion. Um, and no, and no greater improved contract on proper on, on top of that, and then Southall coming in, and then <laughs> I think I think he then said Roland offered another contract that was higher, but then he started the season well, so he didn't accept it, and then when ESI came in, they offered him a lower contract, uh, and uh, then withdrew it, and I don't think Lyle Taylor was happy with how that was played out in public. I mean, it shows how frustrating it must be for a player to be working within the mess that is our football club over the last few years as well. Definitely. And, um, you know, as you say there, with, with Lyle, I don't, I wouldn't have blamed him at all if he had gone. Um, it would have been frustrating, obviously, because he was he's a very important player. Um, he proved it throughout the season. Obviously, he had that, he had that injury um, when he went away with Montserrat and we, and we obviously didn't have him around for quite a, quite a long time. But, the games that he did play, he he made a difference, and in some crucial games like like Luton and things like that, he made he made a real difference, and um, he was worth sort of worth his weight in gold really because that's the sort of player that keep, is the difference between keeping you in the division and you dropping back down again. Um, and I was very surprised because obviously when this all came out, we we didn't really know. The, the truth behind what Southall was going to be like. We, we were all sort of singing his praises and everything. So I think people kind of made Lyle out to be the bad guy. Um, and now, obviously, this has all gone, it's blown up the way it has. It was it was quite interesting for Lyle to come out and explain the situation as a whole. And now it's not surprising whatsoever when you look at it, uh, at the way it was handled by Southall. Uh, and you know what? I, I, I wouldn't blame any of those players if they wanted to move on after this because as you say it's it's their career it's their it's their job and you're a long time retired in football and the decisions that they make going forward if you know they want to get a move somewhere else improve the money and play at a higher level or just even with a bit more stability then they're going to do that because they're they're out it's a short career and you're a long time retired so large Taylor's obviously at an age now where he's probably coming to like the prime of his career towards the end of it you know he's, he's 30 now so he's going to want to get that one last big, sort of big money move to set him up afterwards, and, and I wouldn't blame him for that. And as you say, he was ever the professional, um, regardless of what went on behind the scenes um, with all this. So 
all we can do is sort of wish him well if he does go. The lot, I mean, like you say, it's very, very, very unlikely that we keep him unless a miracle happens over the next couple of months, which I can't see. Um, so all we can do is thank him for what, what he has done because his goals got us out of the division and his goals ultimately probably could have kept us in the, in the division if this if this played out. But yeah, I'll, I'll be really gutted to see him go. And, and it's someone he came out obviously and, and gave the fans. Uh, the brutal Lyle Taylor honesty and I think that's something that we probably needed at the moment because we're just getting sort of everyone's just sort of tiptoeing around the actual facts where Lyle goes straight for the sort of straight for the jugular and I think that's what we needed yeah I was going to say Benji is refreshing to because you don't get it too often with footballers I mean you do get it with Lyle every time he speaks he, he certainly says what's on his mind um I think I mean I also think the fact that he's come out and said this sort of stuff now proves um you know I think I think he's he's clearly given up unfortunately on uh, on, on staying here, otherwise you wouldn't have said that. But um, you know, it, it's nice to hear honesty from that, and, and it shows you behind the scenes because it does show that. And again, I mean, he 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 obviously targets Matt because Matt Southall was the person in the building. I mean, Tanunamir, uh not providing funds means we weren't obviously off, able to offer big contracts anyway. But you know, it, it shows as a whole how ESI's takeover has a, 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 affected the players within the club as well. I bet. I mean, with someone like Lyle, as Lewis was just saying there, as, since he's come back from his injuries, his goals have really given us a bit of hope to stay up. I mean, that, that goal against Luton was brilliant, played well against Barnsley. For a player like him as well, it must be so frustrating him looking at the January transfer window and thinking, right, here we go, we've got new owners in, some new funds coming in, we'll be able to put together more of a team, obviously losing Connor that can kind of get us out of the mess we were going into. And that just a growing sense of frustration then, looking around and seeing players not come in and not spending any money. I, I don't know if the players knew that we were under an embargo or not. So, yeah, real frustration for them. So, yeah, it's, it's good to hear Lyle come out and speak out and actually give us some um, views from the players that we obviously didn't know at the time. We were all kept quiet, weren't we, from letting us know we were under an embargo and hearing these players' frustrations come out. With Lyle, look, he's got nothing to lose. Obviously, there's always two sides to every story, but from from what we've heard about ESI, it, it doesn't surprise us at all. Mm. And, uh, and as he rightly put, it's the fans that lose out. We lose out from, from missing them, seeing a great player like Lyle play for our club. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we miss these kind of players and the kind of proper way to run a football club, it just doesn't work for us, does it? Yeah. Terry, I mean, if you got anything to add on this situation, it was it was a revealing uh, interview from Lyle Taylor. Um, again, we, we were talking about how, how it shows it's difficult for the club. I, 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 I don't know if I just want this, <laughs> this segment to end, if you've got anything to say that, that could give me some hope, because I, I, sit, I, sit, I, sit, I sit in my office all, all week doing my day job, and you're thinking, oh, I wish I could go and watch the football at the weekend and that would cheer me up. But at the moment, I'm not getting any football to at least to watch at the weekend and we've still got this absolute circus going on off the pitch and it's just making me miserable now. Yeah, I know, and I think uh, you echo the sentiments of pretty much every Charlton fan out there. Uh, can I give you hope? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, the only uh, straw I can clutch at is that, you know, Lyle comes, has always come across well-spoken and and, uh, uh, and always gives uh, you know speaks from the heart as well as the gut. Uh, and, and his brains 
Um, and what he did show, I think, during the interview was that despite the contract uh, nonsense that we're going that, that he was going through, he still gave it his all on the pitch for us. Still scored goals for us, and so um, and I think it, you know there is a genuine um, uh, concern for our club from him, uh, and he genuinely likes the club. So as much as we don't expect to see him again, at least you know that under the you know the management regime we've got that players are willing to give their all regardless. So, you know, if there is any straw to clutch at, is that, um, you know, as long as we have uh, the, uh, the management team and an assemblance of the playing staff going forward, then, uh, then we should be all right. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully, but we'll see. Right, we're going to have a quick break here on Charlton Live. As I promised, when we come back, we're going to relive last year's playoff semifinals. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Take his man on. Chip ball back across. Bowers there. Pierce is there. Bowers with a header. And it's Charlie. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, oh, it's Charlie. Oh, Patrick Barr. You absolute German beauty. Woo! Dream lads. Charlie has scored. With seconds remaining. We've done it all. Guess it. Come on. What a time yes, to be here. Here on Wembley. Live. Right, so welcome back to Charlton Live. As I promised there just before the uh, advert break, we've got to look back at last year's playoff semi-finals. I mean, the uh, anniversary of the first leg passed uh, earlier on this week and the second leg will be uh, early next week. So I thought we've got to look back at it because, um, t- t- I mean, obviously the, the, the final gets all the uh, the majority of the plaudits because it's one of those unforgettable moments. But the playoff semi-finals uh, last year were, were well, the, the first one was actually one, probably one of our better performances of the season um, and a great weekend. The second one, one of the most uh, enthralling games of football I've ever been at. Uh, heart-wrenching at times, terrifying the majority of the time, but uh, ultimately ended up quite sweet as well. So, first, I mean, first of all, let, let's, let's take ourselves back then to, to this time last year, Lewis. Um, you know, let's say we, it's the final day of the season. We've just uh, uh, we, we've just beaten. Was it Rochdale? We beat four nil. Yeah, Tom Rochdale. Yeah, it? and uh, beaten four nil. Made that made that jump into into third place on the final day, uh, and we found out then that we were getting Doncaster. When for a while we we suspected we'd be getting either Portsmouth or Sunderland, 
uh, in the playoff semi-final. All, all of a sudden, you're getting Doncaster, who finished quite a, quite a fair distance behind us in the league. Uh, we've beaten them at home, had uh, a draw away from home where we got away with a disallowed goal in the last minute, actually, as well. But, you know, we, we'd had some, some tight games with them. Um, but obviously, in terms of the, the, the teams in the playoffs, you'd have to say on paper they were the weakest uh, going into going into that, that, that playoff competition. So, I mean, I, I, can you remember how you felt, the, the fact that we were, we were playing Doncaster rather than Sunderland or Portsmouth in the in the semi-finals? Yeah, I do. I remember um, sort of the lead up to it. I was thinking, I just know that we're going to get Sunderland over two legs and that they were the team that I sort of didn't fancy the most. I mean, even though they'd, they'd been a little bit inconsistent that, that second half of the season, I just didn't fancy taking on Sunderland over over two legs. Portsmouth, I thought we probably could have just shaved past them because our performances against them, away from home especially, over the past two seasons were very impressive. Um, and then, but to get Doncaster was the was pretty much the dream tie out of the, out of the lot. And obviously, the, the performance on that final day to get us up into third. Um, I don't think any of us really imagined that we'd, we'd have been there because we, we I think at the start of the day we were fifth, maybe potentially. I think we were fifth at the start of the day. Um, and I just remember getting that. And the, I had a lot of optimism about it. And I, the nerves, I was quite nervous. I remember because we, we all sort of stayed in the same hotel, didn't we? We had like a big group of us up there for the weekend. And I remember the night before we all met up and went to the pub. And I, I, I was kind of feeling more optimistic than I was nervous. Um, which was which was good because I think the, the lead up to it, I was I was sort of a, a little bit nervous, worried that we would we would sort of bottle it. But the night before, sort of talking about how good our performances had been over that, especially the second half of the season. I think we only, we only lost twice, didn't we, at Fleetwood, and we lost at uh, Oxford on Good Friday. Um, I was I was just optimistic, and um, we were we were fantastic on the day. And that that first half, it, it was so loud. In that in that away end at, at uh, the keep mode, I, I think that it's probably the loudest away atmosphere I've ever heard in a, in the league. You take obviously take Wembley out of it, uh, and it was just a special day, a fantastic day. And I just remember coming out of that feeling like we had we pretty, pretty much had one foot at Wembley because I just thought that we played Doncaster off the park, and then um, obviously the second leg came about, and it was a little bit more nervy. Yeah, well, I mean, Ben, we're, we're talking mainly about the first leg at the moment, but I mean, obviously, we we hadn't seen the likes of Johnny Williams for a few weeks at that time, and I think probably the biggest team news at the time was that Igor Vettikeli was out injured. Oh, uh, just not my microphone there, because um, uh, because you know we, it meant we were relying on Josh Parker to to go up alongside Lyle Taylor. So I guess that was that was the only disappointment going into the the semi-finals I mean, can, can you remember how confident you felt going into that in, into that two-legged tie oh it was yeah I was quite confident I think looking at the seasons before where we've got in the playoffs uh the Shrewsbury playoff tie uh, I know we had the first leg at home there didn't we and I didn't feel as confident then as I did this year round I think as a team I mean the likes of Bauer Aribo I'm uh, Bellic, the players obviously we've not had this year. Uh, I mean, Bellic scored a great goal against Rochdale. These players were in form, and as you say, we were missing Igor. But Parker, I've got to give it to the guy as much as he didn't score any goals, he gave it a hundred percent. And um, I really think he, he uh, matched with Taylor quite well. His work rate really helped Taylor out. And yeah, I was going into it feeling confident. I mean, that that day. 
fond memories of that day. It was a beautiful day as well, wasn't it? The sun was shining, as Lewis said. The atmosphere was brilliant. There were so many of us fans out there that day. I was quite disappointed with Doncaster's turnout, actually. I've got a mate, uh, a mate of mine who's a Charlton fan who lives in Doncaster, and he even said that he thought their turnout was quite poor that day. But first half was brilliant, wasn't it? We played some great football, scored two goals in two minutes, and really put us in the ascendancy. And uh, their goal was a little bit lucky, wasn't it? It looped up and and he headed it in at the far post. But overall, it was a, it was a great performance and a one that really... Uh, set us into the second leg looking good yeah and, and Terry then just just before we hear the highlights of that first leg then and Lewis sort of mentioned it I mean we, we had a, a load of us up in Doncaster on the night before the game um, it seems it, it feels like such a long time ago now that we're not even allowed to go outside the house and see each other but it's nice <laughs> like that that um you know, uh, uh, so so much you know football so much more than just the game itself which obviously was 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 uh, you know, a, a great occasion, but the, to to have so many Charlton fans take over a town up north, have a night out, everyone excited for the playoffs. I mean, it 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 really was it really was one of those occasions that you just wish you could relive again. No, that's a fact. It was a cracking weekend, uh, as it turned out. I mean, I'm a bit different to to the boys. Um, I was I was cacking myself. I wasn't yeah. confident at all. Um, I think I'd have been slightly less worried. Uh, had we not been sort of um, de- de- tagged as favourites because, you know, we finished third. Uh, as you said earlier, we'd beaten Doncaster at home, got a point off from, um, away from home. And then the, the FA Cup game was in the railroads because we put a, a you know, second string side out. So most people, I think, were expecting us to win. So that always bothers me a bit. Um, and uh, so I was back and I, don't mind, yeah. I don't mind confessing. Second one more so than the first. Yeah. Um, in the build-up because... Um, I think if we, you know, everybody said if we can come out of here with a draw or, or sneak a, you know, a one-goal win, that'll do us and we'll bring it back to the valley. Okay, so let's have a listen then to the highlights of that first leg. Uh, the commentators back in the day, back in the olden days when we were allowed outside, of course, with Terry uh, and Greg over on Valley Pass. Cullen drills it in towards the far post. It's headed away by Butler, only as far as Wilkes, who flicks it on out left. It might come the way of Morgan. Will he decide to keep it on? He has. Morgan onto his right foot. Morgan still with it cross into the box it's a deep one because there's a flick comes to Cullen ball across goal he's come off it make it 1-0 Lord Taylor the man score after 31 minutes Josh Cullen with superb play on the right side to keep it in the ball across goal it took a couple of deflections and finally Lyle Taylor with the diving header and Joel make it 1-0 the keep mo every single Doggers the player is screaming for an offside there firstly for Josh Cullen who was at the far side but I think Doncaster player had two players on the line. Josh Cullen then drilled it across. Taylor got a touch, I think. Took another deflection before it spun back up off the keeper and into Tyler's head. Taylor's head. Cullen looking for the out ball towards ball. Taylor. That's a lovely ball. Taylor, good control. Cuts inside onto his left foot. Taylor still with it. Oh, it's a bit of a loose touch. Comes away with Morgan. Morgan thinking about a shot. Onto his right foot. Ball across goal comes to Taylor. Taylor. Uses Arebo down the line. Arebo ball across goal. Yes! Joe Arebo on the right hand side. Lovely pass from Lyle Taylor down the line. And Joe have shell shocked the host here as Joe Arebo scores for the Addicts. <laughs> and I think you've got to go back to the ball from Josh Cullen. Firstly, the head away from Patrick Bowers quality. But when Josh Cullen picked it up in midfield, the ball out to Lyle Taylor was absolutely exquisite. We get lucky with the interception that took it out to Elby Morgan. He found Lyle Taylor, teed up Joe Rebo, who just 
Well, Morosi will be a little disappointed. He just hit it across the six-yard box. And Morosi fluffed his lines and Charlton turned it up. Charlton fans in Dreamland in the way stands. Oh, nearly 4,000 of them bouncing the place up and down. Out to Andrew. Now, Malik Wilkes, who swapped sides momentarily. Cuts inside, but that's well covered by Billick, but it'll uh, run through to Marquis. Goes backwards to Andrew. Gonna ball down the line to Wilkes. Wilkes, Cullen gets a, something on it. It goes across, and it's headed in by Blair. And Doncaster have a goal back. Yeah, they're very, very fortunate that Wilkes has crossed, took a deflection. It's headed on by Blair on the line. That doesn't take a deflection. That's, that's never going to be a goal. A little bit of a wake-up call, though, for Charlton. Uh, I think Charlton have been quite comfortable in possession. We spoke about it, maybe having a bit more ambition. And Doncaster have a way back in this tie. Charlton still have the advantage. No need to panic. You know, we're taking a 1-0. No any day of the week. So just need to keep ourselves calm. The way fans still singing. Taylor, Taylor, holding it by the corner flag. And here is the final whistle. It's finished here with Charlton a 2-1 victory. So there we go. That brings back good memories of that first leg uh, tie uh, of, of the tie up uh, up at Doncaster. I guess that that goal right at the very end, Lewis, it, j- it just made it a little bit a little bit less comfortable, wasn't it, going into the return leg at the Valley? Because I remember maybe about two minutes before um, uh, before Doncaster got that goal back, we had a huge chance to make it three 0 when across from. Uh, from the right-hand side, just just floated over the head of, of Lyle Taylor, and, and you, I remember on the train home, you know, being reasonably pleased, but just thinking, oh, it, it could have been done and dusted if that had gone in instead of Doncaster getting that lucky one back. Yeah, definitely, it was one of those, and it was it was sort of typical, just just like it's the Charlton way, as we, we've always said, you can't you can't go back to the valley with a two-goal lead. That's absolute nonsense. They've got to keep us on our toes, haven't they? <laughs> That's how we do it always, but. Yeah, it was it was you know ever so slightly frustrating, but I just remember being so on top of the world after you know just because because we're not really always. I, I just think that from the year before the the sort of experience of going up to Shrewsbury, obviously taking that one goal defeat up there and thinking, oh, could we turn this around? I never felt confident with that, and and to have sort of the, the team last year there was something special about that team last year just the fight and everything and they gave 100% every game and I just felt like it, it was maybe our sort of our turn <laughs> so even not even to win the thing but just to get to Wembley and I, I just remember sort of thinking regardless of that goal just literally just being absolutely elated I was bouncing around I was with with a couple of my mates I was, like, we were just all jumping around hugging each other and stuff like that because it was just an amazing day and, and I think the sort of the highs of the entire weekend carried all the way through to the final whistle you know the fact we all went up there together and was drinking the night before and that celebrating not just the playoffs but a, a fantastic season all in all I think it was just that sort of positivity carried us all the way through that tie um, and you know took us back to the valley with that with that 2-1 lead yeah, and it was. Uh, I mean, th- that's what we need to remember about that 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 performance. Actually, when when especially when you think about it, you compare it to the nervous performance we had in the second leg, Ben. But we actually played some lovely stuff, and particularly in that first half, I mean, we we could have been three or four up going into the break, and we had a couple more chances after it. And and Doncaster only really came back into that game in like the in in the closing stages. Yeah, as we said, I think the Shrewsbury game before we just didn't turn up, did we, in that playoff? So. It, why we went so mad in that first half we were like we're 2-0 up here in the first half of the first leg of the playoffs and we're playing such good football that look here we 
go. We're on our way to the final. And I think we had that confidence from the games previous where from nowhere we kind of made it to third. And yeah, as you said, we went in favourites as well. And like we were playing up to that tag of, of favourites. Like we were playing some beautiful football. As Terry said in commentary there, uh, that lovely ball from Josh Cullen, him and Bellick and Arebo. Taylor and Jig still down that right side had a good link together. It was just all working so well that even when they scored that late goal, we all still celebrated at the end. And I know Taylor kept the ball down by the corner flag near us fans and we all kind of celebrated and thought, you know what, here we go now. I think we're going to get to the final. And, well, as we will go on to discuss in the second leg, we took the lead early there. But it just really felt like this could be it. Like, after two years of getting in the playoffs, we felt quite confident that this team can go on to, to take us up. Mm. I mean, how did you feel then, Terry, going into, in, into the next leg then? Because again, like I say, <laughs> just at the very back of my mind, uh, you know, that, 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 last, that last goal, and I, me- I remember the build-up to, the, the, the build to that Friday night. I mean, that, that day at work just went on forever. <laughs> it was the longest day ever, and uh, the the, ner- the nurse were were too much to take. I mean, I, I just want to know how you're feeling, and then uh, w- once you told us how you're feeling, then we'll listen back to the uh, the second leg highlights. Well, this is mad because I'm feeling nervous again. It, it, <laughs> I, I, it must be me. It's got to be me because, um, and maybe it's just because I'm old enough. I've, I've been through it a few times. I don't know, but uh, no, I was. I had huge relief after the first leg. I'm a huge relief, even though they did score that in the last minute goal. Uh, because you think, well, we play like that, you know, and there's there's nobody nobody can touch us actually in any of those uh, teams that were vying for the, uh, to go up. If we play as well as we did in the first half hour, forty minutes uh, through the through this process, nobody should be able to touch us. But you know, this Charlton, those sort of things don't happen. And I remember actually um, when we got to the to the valley eventually, and I was still nervous. I was I was absolutely cracking. I was a bag of nerves. And everybody's saying to me, "Well, you know, it's all right. we score first, it's game over. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's no way they're coming back from a two-goal deficit. Not the way we've been playing." And I'm still going, "This is Charlton, you know." And I think was it Phil Perry you were commentating with on, on BBC, uh, yeah, Louis? Yeah, it yeah, was. I remember yeah. saying to him because, and he said pretty much the same thing. And I just went, "This is Charlton. They did, you know, they, they, this is Charlton. don't uh, don't predict stuff like that because it, it don't pan out like that. Not yeah. not the way uh, our history dictates otherwise. It just doesn't." And then I remember it after I've been the, uh, in that second league, I looked across to him and went, told you. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go then. Let's have a listen back to the highlights. Just to set the scene though. Uh, so of course, we were, we were, I've done the microphone fairly again. We were 2-1 up uh, from the first leg. Uh, this is a Charlton team that had won their last six games at home consecutively. Uh, they hadn't actually lost a game at home in, in the last 16 in the league. An undefeated run at home that went all the way uh, from May we were in at that point back to October uh, when they'd beaten at Coventry. They'd beaten Doncaster at home in the se- uh, earlier on in the season. Of course, uh, they beat Doncaster uh, in, in the first leg. So absolutely everything uh, was pointing towards a comfortable home win. Not quite how it played out. Cullen goes on a run. Arebo just stalls. The run is at a decoy. Cullen now knocks it in. Bill Aguadena! Yes! Puts Charlton in front of the tie and 3 1 up in the. On aggregate. What the perfect start. It was a little decoy run from Josh Cullen. Doncaster fell for it. A dink ball to the edge of the six yard box. Christian Billy got there first. 
and Marco Morosi had no chance in keeping it out. Well, that's the start Charlton wanted. A superb training ground drill. Credit to the coaching staff for that one. We saw that Arriba was never going to take that. Column of a decoy came back, chipped it in. Doncaster was slow to react. And Christian Billick, the Arsenal lonely, rose highest and heads home for the Addicts. What a start. The atmosphere is electric. This place is bouncing. Downing for Doncaster in the centre circle. On the plus side, Charlton 1-0 up. Slightly negative as we've got another 80 minutes. Oh, a breakaway as uh, Doncaster break and they score! Tommy Rowe in the penalty area. Charlton fall asleep, give the ball away. And it's 1-1 on the night. The corner comes in, it's a deep one. Bauer beaten to it, it's a goal! Butler beats Bauer to the ball and heads it in. 2-all. 2-1 on the night, 3 all. It's just a simple corner to the back post. Butler getting ahead of Bauer. Just a simple knockdown. And Doncaster level. And there is the final whistle. And it's finished 2-1 here at full time. 3-3 on aggregate in the time. We go to extra time. And Doncaster can break away with May. May's got Wilkes to his right. Wilkes towards the corner of the penalty area. Nabisar across, trying to stop him getting on his left. Cuts across with his right. It's a free header! And Doncaster take the lead with Marquis. They just totally switched off the addicts. Restart. Williams, oh, he's taken out again. This time. I want to see who that was, actually. Charlton take it quickly anyway, it doesn't matter. It's out to Dick Still. Dick Still down the line into Taylor. Taylor goes past his man, ball into the box. Oh, it's squared across. Yes! On that, to squeeze it into that net. Charlton back on level terms within a minute. That's the perfect response. We go again. Darren Bradley just nudging the ball home. I talked about the balls in the box, not quite finding the man. That one did. I told you this game wasn't over. It's far from over. One last launch forward, perhaps. Right. Chips it towards. No, there is the final whistle. We're in the penalties. Chris Solid. Has the honour. Rossi taking his time to get back. Trying to play as many mind games as he can. Chris Solly steps forward. Strikes it into yeah, the second corner. Cholne at the on. first one. There's your captain. Dispatch. Keeper dive to his right, Solly the other way. Now for Dylan Phillips to try and step up for Charlton Whiteman to take. Whiteman into the roof of the net, it's 1-0. And he does the old finger on his lips nonsense. Yeah, good penalty, very, very good penalty. The way he ran up to the ball as well, he just ran up straight away. Dispatched, Phillips had no chance. Josh Collins turn. Josh Collins. Strides forward. Shoots it left and oh, oh. Come on! Dribbles into the right hand corner from Charlton. 2 1. Sigh of relief for Josh Collins blows his cheeks. But I think he was waiting for the goalkeeper to move, so it didn't matter how, much, how he caught in the end. 
Well done, Josh. Sadly up for Doncaster. He doesn't look confident here, Sadler. He looks nervous. Takes it all just over Dylan Phillips's outstretched arm and into the right-hand corner. Again, he just we're, hit, we're he hit that very, very well. Nowhere near Dylan Phillips. Lyle Taylor strides forward. Tall on penalties. Morosi taking his time again. Val Taylor. With that slow build-up. Takes it into the bottom right-hand corner. Again, Charlton have the lead. Confidence that from low. I thought he might change his run-up. Keeper didn't really move, which made it even difficult for him. That slow run-up that he does, he waits for the keeper to move. And he did in the end. And now it's Crawford, Crawford. for Doncaster. The third penalty of Doncaster. Oh, into the roof of the net. To the left of Dylan Phillips. We're play. all square again. Fair play to Doncaster. Their three penalties have been outstanding. And Rebo's turn. Joe Rebo. Real. Steps forward. Takes it, calmly places it into the left side of the keeper to his right. Charlton are back in front again. Well done, Joe. There's someone who will probably be playing at a high level one day and might have to play in a penalty shootout in a high division. That'll give him good experience. This is Hopefully a huge Charlton. penalty. It's Marquee. For Doncaster. He steps forward. And yes! Yeah! Come on! Phillips! Come on! Left hand side and blocked the marquee penalty. And Nabi Saar will stride forward. And can he put Charlton in the playoff final? Nebisar to take the fifth penalty. Marquee got booked in the process. Nebisar steps forward. Oh, and he's oh. safe. Can this get any worse? Oh, the emotions. Dylan saves this, though. It's Rowe for Doncaster. He steps forward. And yes! 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 Yes!
I don't believe it! It's the most astonishing method possible. Rowe, who scored the first goal for, Char- for Doncaster, has missed a penalty and sends Charlton through to the playoff final against Sunderland. Fans are on the pitch. The emotions are so, so high. And we're there. Oh, we're there. Absolutely spine tingling to hear that again. Uh, oh, it brings brings back so many fond memories of that. The the aftermath of that penalty shoot at the tears uh, were in the eyes. The fans were on the pitch. Uh, it really was an incredible night. But <laughs> it was Lewis one of the worst nights of my entire life, as well as being one of the best because. After we got that early goal, you thought, excellent, we're there. You know, I mentioned that unbeaten run we had at home, that winning run we were on at the Valley. And then after that, we just completely fell apart and put in one of our worst performances of the season. It was bizarre. Yeah, it was one of those, wasn't it, where it was like the occasion definitely got to them a little bit. I mean, that that early goal, I was thinking, because before the game, I was I was so nervous before this game. It was a com- the complete opposite to the first leg. And... Um, I just after getting that early goal, I just remember relaxing instantly. But then, as you say, we just sort of the wheels came off a little bit, didn't they? Because Donny scored sort of immediately afterwards, didn't they? Through Tommy Rowe, uh, and then it was sort of nervy throughout the whole game. And they nearly scored sort of before the end, and then obviously that that goal right at the right at the death. Um, I felt I felt like that went in slow motion because I just remember him jump like beating Bauer to the header. And I just remember, I just felt like the whole ground went silent. I just remember myself like screaming like no for about 10 seconds. And then the ball hit in the back of the net. And I was absolutely distraught. And I'd, tra- I'd travelled down, I'd left my friend's wedding down in Bath for like, <laughs> for the game. Um, and I was just like, it, well, it was it was horrendous. My, my heart completely sank. And then obviously with the, with the Marquise goal in extra time as well, like it was just... I think you probably felt every emotion that that day as a Charlton fan, didn't you? And I think, as you mentioned earlier, like the, even the build-up before the game was probably the slowest day I've had ever in history. So just waiting for waiting for kickoff. Um, but yeah, listening back to it, it just it's just it was incredible, wasn't it? It's, it's a proper Charlton thing, despite the the uh, the stress and the emotion of it. It's it's like a proper. Charlton result that and it was just yeah incredible it, just, it's the, it, it makes you kind of a little bit sad listening to it now because what we mentioned earlier on in the show about how we're all sort of you know completely we're all just nervous about what the future of our club holds and you think only 12 months ago were we probably at our highest for a long time and probably the highest we have been for, for a lot of Charlton fans of, of a certain generation so it just makes this um, this this whole takeover and and Tanun and Matt Saga even more mm. frustrating when you hear just how amazing things were literally twelve months ago. Mm. It's, it's funny now, Benji, when I think about it, about the similarities perhaps to um, uh, the, the second leg we had against Swindon in two thousand and ten. Uh, under Phil Parkinson, obviously, oh, it was there were some differences. I mean, we we came into the the game a goal behind. Uh, but in terms of similarities, it's like we started off against Swindon really well. We got that two-goal lead. They went down to 10 men. You're thinking, oh, brilliant. And then all of a sudden it turns. And that night we had, against Swindon, we had chances to go through. This night, 
once it turned, I mean, there was at no point after 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 Doncaster, you know, I'd say even after they equalised on the night. I mean, they really started to turn it on in that second half, and you know, eventually got got the goal that took it into extra time. But at no point during that game did I realistically think we were going to go through, other than the first sort of ten minutes or so, because we were so nervous and we were on the back foot, and I just thought there's no chance we can win this. We've we've blown it. We've blown this this good performance that we put in in the first leg. Yeah, spot on. I think it was such a roller coaster of emotions, wasn't it? And it actually really typifies being a Charlton fan. Uh, as you say, similar to other playoff games that we've had before, where you kind of, when Bellic did score, he feel, hang on, this is a bit too good to be true. I mean, I've seen a few of the videos that fans took uh, when we scored at Bellic goal, and the atmosphere is just, oh, the valley is rocking. Uh, I think. Everyone always talks about the best atmosphere at the Valley being the 98 playoff semi-final against Ipswich when Newton scored that wonder goal. And I remember that as a kid thinking, wow, the atmosphere is amazing. But I think that maybe topped it at the start of that game. Everyone was singing Valley Floyd Road and Cullen puts in that beautiful ball with 1-0 up. And yeah, it did seem like too good to be true. And oh, you look at the defending for the row goal and Marquise. You just, our defending just went to pot, didn't it? I mean... Rome's goal, he just runs through the middle of the pitch and just no one goes near him and he shoots and scores. And Marquise's goal, he's unmarked at the back post. And Phillips kind of looks and goes, you're joking, where's everyone gone? Mm. He's just had an open goal. Mm. <laughs> it's just crazy. But yeah, just the I guess the nerves just got to the players. And well, thank goodness we stepped up to take it to penalties because yeah, for... Mm. Felt so deflated, and I agree with you. That not after the first ten minutes and row equalising on the night, I'd never thought we were going to go through. Mm. So yeah. the elation when he did miss the penalty was—I mean, again, after ground, didn't realise that we were through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that on social media the next day. Quite a lot of people admitting that they had no idea. Terry, I mean, we have to remember, I guess. The the one point where where the game really threatened to get away from us, of course, was when was when when Marquis put put Doncaster into the lead on the tie in in extra time, um, and it is that vital goal from the man who probably was our man of the playoffs, uh, Darren Prattley. You know, it was twenty seconds after the restart, and he hauled us back into it, and that celebration with his shirt ripped and his running, you know, just sort of personified everything that he'd done for us for for us. Uh, in those playoffs because he really came into his own and, and he scored a goal at such a vital time because I think even if we'd gone even even two or three minutes being behind in the tie, I do wonder if it, if that could have taken it all out of the players. I'd agree 100% and, uh, and you're right to, to, to lord up uh, the legend Dennis Bradley because, uh, I mean, what an intervention. I mean, there are a few things on this. I mean, the first is that... Um, uh, everybody's talking about the similarities with who we eventually got in the final and, and the fact that the last time we played them in a playoff final. Actually, that semi, that second semi-final at the Valley was so much, for me anyway, similar to the uh, the last Sunderland playoff final where, you know, we went into it into that last Sunderland play with a superb defensive record. Everybody's saying, if we score first, then, you know, you, you know we should be uh, we should be able to hold out because we've been so fantastic at it. And, we can, of course, we come into the Valley unbeaten what in six that uh, hadn't conceded a goal and all this not oh, more than well, more than one goal anyway uh, and then we take the lead against Doncaster and people are thinking well that's it done and dusted and we're home and dry but this is Charlton so we don't do stuff like that and uh, as uh, as the boys have so eloquently said we, we just went missing 
Although I'm a little bit different. I didn't, I didn't actually think Doncaster... I mean, I know that their manager said they outplayed us. I'm not entirely sure that's true. I think they certainly controlled the game better than we did and we kept giving the ball to them at the, the alarmingly frequent times. But I never really felt that... Um, you know, that row scoring was a body blow. But even even then, we you consider that was, what, about 10 minutes, I think it was? Um, you know, we went... Another seventy before they uh, before they actually scored it because and I didn't really think they were that threatening, but um, you know Charlton being Charlton and uh, you're sorry about the defending for the row goal and then uh, Pat Bauer decides to win a free kick rather than actually win the header in, in the last minute and allow allows Butler to, to equalise and then when Marky scored that goal and he was all alone in the six yard box he's thinking that's it you know I, I didn't see any way back from that but for Prattley to to get that goal straight after within a minute. And I didn't realise until I, I'm, I'm only, and this is absolutely true, I've only actually watched that back about three days ago. Um, I wanted to watch it in exactly the same timeline a year later. So I watched the first leg on the, on the day of the first leg. And then I was going to wait and watch the second leg, but I couldn't. <laughs> so I watched it, I watched it within a day. And I didn't realise uh, at the time or subsequently for a, um, until I've just watched it back that Morosi slipped just before yeah. the ball got to it. Now, I didn't realise that. I mean, how vital is that? Because if he doesn't slip, he gets the ball, comfortably gets the ball. But his, his leg just gives sway underneath him, and so he can only get uh, one hand to it, and it just diverts into the path of Bradley. Yeah, so... I mean, these so fine margins. Yeah, so it's a lucky need in, in, in the playoffs, and obviously, I mean, yeah, uh, we, we took advantage of it. I mean, Ben, what, what was your thoughts going into the penalty shootout? Because, obviously, we knew we had a good goalkeeper in Dylan Phillips... Uh, we knew we had some a, a good penalty taker in uh, in Lyle Taylor. Uh, not not too many. I I suspect thought that uh, Chris Holly was going to be the man to take the first one. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that. Uh, oh, I was just so nervous at that point. I think when Prattley scored, I literally just showed no emotion. I stood there and thought, "What? We're back in it now." Like this seems a bit weird. I thought we were done then. And then, yeah, when it got through to the penalties, just pure nerves. And then when you see Chris Solly, our right-back, step up to take the penalty, you figured, oh, hang on a sec. But I preferred us going first. Um, wasn't there some weird thing where uh, the penalties were supposed to be down at Doncaster end, but the police said no? And well, yeah, no, no, normally it would be a, a toss of the coin, but the police came in and said no due to safety reasons. It had to be at the covered end, which Doncaster weren't happy about after, but... Yeah, I think a few of their fans were impeaching the uh, the segregation, weren't they? So they took it down the other end. But yeah, I think the little positives I was taking was, okay, we're going first. I personally prefer that. Um, and then down the covered end, so we got extra support, give their keeper a bit of jip and that. But the first lot of penalties were all really good, weren't they? Until um, Marquis missed, but... Yeah, oh, just pure. When you go back to that night, you just think that night for me was was more exciting. Well, was just better than the playoff final. I just look back on that night and the pure roller coaster of it, going on the pitch. I mean, when when as Charlton fans, except when we're protesting, get to go on the pitch in celebration, you watch so many teams do that, and for us to do it was just oh, it's just such an amazing night. Yeah, and Lewis, what about that moment then? So we've seen Marquis make the save from um. Uh, well, well, Dylan Phillips, sorry, make the save from John Marquise, uh, the former Millwall striker we should remember. And then um, Naby Sarr steps up to send us to Wembley and, and his glorious redemption, uh, although it didn't quite go to plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
<laughs> it was it was an opportunity to be forever written to Charlton Folklore, wasn't it? Navi Saab, bless him. And I think when he steps up, you know, it's been said many a time by by Bowie that he's one of the best finishers at the club. Um, so I was actually quietly confident when Navi was stepping up because we've seen him do it before. You know, we'd, we've seen him score free kicks. We've seen him score a bundle of of different goals. And when when he stepped up, that I was fairly confident, and I was. There probably wasn't a person, a player on that pitch. I was more desperate to score the winning penalty than Navi Sarp because it would have just been he'd had a very good season anyway. I think you know he, he got he was runner up uh, player of the year more than deservedly so. You know we spoke to him at player of the year and he, and the sort of you could see how much it meant to him like this sort of redemption that he had had and I was just desperate for him to put that away and you know it wasn't it wasn't to be. Um, and it was one of those, wasn't it, like heart and mouth moments? And it was sort of just as well that uh, the pe- you know the Tommy Rowe penalty afterwards uh, was was straight wide. I remember I was, I'd watching it sort of through through the creases of your fingers because you're so nervous. <laughs> and um, yeah, when it missed, you know, like Benji said earlier, I, I couldn't quite believe that it was it was done with, and we and that we were through. And I think that was probably. 40-50% of the Valley were, were in the same boat I think we, it was just the, the pure disbelief that we'd actually done it after such a roller coaster mm-hmm. of a game and it would, it's just one of those things I think after this I'm going to have to go and rewatch the whole thing again because it's just it, it's just incredible and um, yeah, yeah a, what a, what an amazing amazing game to be a part of and so to be there live and with the Valley packs out not just in the home ends but half the Jimmy Seed as well it was it was really really special and those scenes at the end will be something I'll remember for the rest of my life yeah and Terry we could hear in, in, in the commentary there that you, you were certainly swept up in the emotion of the <laughs> event at the end uh, yeah you could say that yeah I was choked um, I mean I uh, I only found out afterwards the next hour as, as Lewis said uh, cited as being one of the best uh, strikers of the ball in, in the club and best finishers um, and it wasn't until after this, they said, well, every penalty he takes in training, every time he, he steps up in practice, uh, or even mucking about, he drills it. He drills it normally straight down the middle and nobody can get anywhere near it. Even if you stand your ground, you're going you're gonna to hurt your fingers. He just hits it so hard. And does, he steps up and does completely the opposite. <laughs> and so, uh, you just can't write the script, can you? And uh, I, I was with Lewis. I mean, when, when Roe missed, and he did hit it hard, and it took me a second to realise that he'd actually missed because I thought he was going to, I thought he scored that into the top right-hand corner or wherever it went. It was only, you know, it, it seemed like ages. It obviously was only a split second. That he realised he'd missed, but then I'm thinking, and I think I said it on commentary. I don't know whether it, you know, it, it was cut out, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I said on commentary. There, you know, everybody's on the pitch. Why? You know, we haven't finished. Of course, we had. Uh, I didn't grasp that, uh, of course, that Marky had missed one just before. So therefore, um, that was it. We were in, and uh, yeah, I agree that again with Lewis, that you know, it was rocking, and, and I was at, I was lucky to be at the. Um, Ipswich playoff semi-final uh, and and that was the loudest I'd known the Valley um, and I was in the East End then uh, and the East End was literally moving with the amount of people jumping up and down and singing the whole crowd was singing and I think this was up there with that definitely up there with that and, and I, I just cracked because <laughs> you know you want to one of the things you always want for your club you want them to be as, as successful as they can be at the moment all we want is survival obviously as a club but you know, to, to to go to Wembley and to see your club at Wembley is, is one of the pinnacles. And mm. uh, to get to do it twice, and albeit now a new Wembley, um, is just special. And, and to get it there in the manner we did, yeah, I just uh, the voice went as you as you probably told. Yeah. Well, I look forward to us uh, reminiscing about that final uh, on Charlton Live next week. But we're going to leave it here then. So we've looked back at last year's playoff semi-finals 
uh, both legs against Doncaster Rovers. That's cheered me up a little bit, at least. So I hope that's uh, cheered you guys up as well. So that's the end of this week's podcast. Like I said, we'll be back next week uh, to look back at one year on uh, from that amazing playoff uh, final against Sunderland at Wembley. Uh, but thank you uh, for listening this week. Thank you to Terry, to uh, Lewis and to Benji for joining us on the pod this week. Cheers, Louis. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, boys. And we shall see you all again next week. I've been Louis Mendes. Thanks for listening. Chant and lie. Chant and lie. <laughs>